Yes, this is EM Case's Best Case Ever mini-podcast series, and I'm your host, Dr. Anton Hellman. So we're here at the Teaching Course, New York City, 2015, and it's my pleasure and honor to have on the show, presenting his best case ever, Dr. Anand Swaminathan, otherwise known as Swami. There's so many great film things that you've done. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> well, thanks, Anton. Uh, you know, it's a pleasure to have you down here, and Teaching Course has been great meeting all these people, and I'm really honored to be on Best Cases. Awesome. So Swami, let it rip. Let's hear your best case ever. All right. So, you know, this is one of those best cases that maybe doesn't have the happiest outcome, but I think it's important to talk about. So this is a patient I saw a couple of years back. Uh, it was an older gentleman, about 65 years old, who came in via ambulance after a syncopal episode. And he rolls in and he's altered. He can't really give much information. He's kind of moaning. It's unclear exactly what's going on. He's pale, he's diaphoretic, and his family's with him. And EMS rolls in and said, yeah, this guy's syncopized. We picked him up, we popped an IV in him, and we brought him here. He's got a really poor pressure. So, you know, we try to get a cuff on him. He's like 60, 70 palp at the best. And there's so many different things that you can have when you have this undifferentiated hypotension. And so, you know, I have, I'm talking to the wife and trying to figure out what's going on. My team is starting the resuscitation, getting ready to intubate and giving fluids and blood and all this kind of stuff. And she says, you know, he complained of back pain and then he syncopized. And I think in emergency medicine, we love patterns. Back pain and syncope in an older patient, right away, it makes me think, either an aortic dissection or more likely a AAA. So AAA was really high up on my list of what this could be. And so I asked her, did he have abdominal pain too? Yes, he had abdominal pain too. And I'm like, okay, we're done. This is a AAA. There's very little else that this can be. And you know, when I talk about this case afterwards with my residents, the other things that come up is if this was a 19-year-old woman, I'm thinking ectopic. But it's a 65-year-old man, it's a AAA. You couldn't get a more textbook case. It was absolutely textbook, and there's no real differential nightmare here. There's no diagnostic dilemma. We know what we're dealing with. So we've got now a hypotensive guy, likely with a AAA. The good thing is we've got point-of-care ultrasound, so we can figure out right away. Does this guy have a AAA that's leaking or not? We slap the ultrasound in his belly, and he's just got blood everywhere. I can't find the aorta, but he's got blood everywhere. I'm like, I'm done. I know exactly what this is. So the first step at this point, you know, we're putting in the large bore IVs, and we're getting ready to intubate. We're getting blood because we're in a trauma center. So we take out the, the uncross-matched blood and we're getting that flowing into the guy. The next thing on my list of things to do was to call my consultant. The only cure for this guy is going to be in the operating room. We know that. We know this guy's got to get to the operating room fast. If he gets there fast, maybe he's got a good outcome. So we get our vascular surgeon on the line. This is like 6.30 in the morning, which is exactly when vascular surgeons are rounding. So it was perfect. And the guy's down in the ER within five minutes. So within five minutes, I've got the vascular surgeon, the vascular attending down there. We're resuscitating this guy. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, listen, this guy's got a triple A. He goes, well, what's the story? I tell him the story. He goes, okay, it sounds like a triple A. Let's go to the OR. So we're starting to get this guy packaged up two large bore IVs, blood pouring in, and he codes. So he codes in front of us. And I look at the vascular surgeon and I'm, and I'm saying, can you take this guy like this to the OR? Now, our ORs are not on the ground floor. We've got to go up about 11 flights to get to our operating room. So he's like, there's no way we can take this guy in a full cardiac arrest. So I'm like, all right, well, what are we going to do? And we have about, I don't know, maybe five, 10 seconds to make a decision here. Coding this guy isn't going to help. Doing CPR, closed chest CPR, there's no benefit here. This guy's leaking a ton of blood into his belly. So the only thing that I can think of is this guy's got a belly full of blood. Let's open his chest and let's cross clamp the aorta. Stop the bleeding. Yeah. So this is like a stab wound, right? It's like a stab wound to the belly. If we can stop the bleeding, we're going to fix this guy. And what would be nice, of course, is if we had Reboa, 
Reboa is not something that's in my shop now, and it definitely wasn't three years ago when I saw this guy. So I looked at the vascular surgeon. I'm like, I think the only thing to do is to open this guy's chest and let's cross clamp his aorta. What do you think? And he's like, I'm on board. Let's do it. So the first thing I think that you have to know if you're going to do a thoracotomy and it's a non-trauma situation is do you have a thoracotomy tray? You need all that equipment in there. You need a knife. You need the rib spreaders. And, you know, Scott Weingart has a great post on the critical tools that you need to do a thoracotomy. So I'll refer you guys to that to check it out. So we start the thoracotomy process. Again, we're in our trauma bay. So we whip up the thoracotomy tray. Myself and the vascular surgeon together, he makes the nice big incision. So in the fourth intercostal space on the left-hand side, we make that big, big incision all the way down. Take the rib spreaders. We stick the rib spreaders in there and we just spread this thing open. And the chest is dry. So we know that this bleeding is all in the belly. The chest is completely dry. And the two of us together, we identify the aorta. He puts a cross clamp across it. And this guy's pressure comes back. Not a good pressure, you know, but we can, there's, there's definitely something going on. The heart is beating and there's blood getting to the body. So he takes him up to the operating room at that point. Now, the short of the long here is unfortunately the patient dies. Uh, he does get to the OR. They do do a graft on him. He actually gets out of the operating room, but over the course of the next 24, 36 hours, this guy does not do well. And the family ends up withdrawing care after 36 hours when it doesn't seem like he's going to recover from this injury. So why is this my greatest case ever? You know, the guy died. The outcome is, is not good. But the thing to me that was important here was making this decision. You've got a patient in front of you that's dying. I can't operate. And the guy who can operate can't operate where we are. We've got to do something to temporize him to get to the operating room. So we decide to do a thoracotomy on a non-trauma patient, not exactly run-of-the-mill care. And both of us, not just me, but the vascular surgeon as well, we both got filleted over the next three days in the hospital, completely strung out to dry on this one. Nobody would think about this as standard care. And once the guy dies, then all bets are off. If the guy had lived, we could have at least said, the guy's alive. It was the right thing to do. The guy dies. Now it's a ton of resources. It's a, a stupid procedure to do in that case. At least this is the way that administration is looking. Now, the nice thing in a case like this is to have a consultant who went through the process with you that you guys decided together it was the best thing. So we at least had each other to, to sort of rely on a little bit. And neither of us threw each other under the bus. I didn't say it was the vascular surgeon's call. He didn't say it was my call. We both said this is what we decided to do. And I think this is the kind of second thing I learned was that everyone is going to Monday morning quarterback you. Everyone's going to tell you the next day with the retrospectoscope that what you did was not the right thing. And it can be really damaging to your ego. So I had a guy who was alive. He came in, he died, we got him back, and then he ultimately died again. It kind of hurts. We did everything we possibly could and we still had a bad outcome. So you've already taken a hit to the ego. And now people who are your colleagues or other people in the hospital are telling you what you did was the wrong thing to do. So you take another hit to your ego. And after sort of wrestling with this for a while and talking about it with other people and thinking about it, with the conclusion that I came to was, was it the best thing for the patient? And if it was the best thing for the patient, it's what John Hines always says, were your intentions honorable? In this case, our intentions were honorable. I wasn't going into this saying, I need a thoracotomy. I haven't done one in a while. We went into this saying, we could save this guy's life. So we felt our intentions were honorable. It was the right thing to do for the patient. And I don't care what the Monday morning quarterback says. You can castigate me all you want. You can tell me what we did was wrong. At the moment, we thought it was the best thing to do. Absolutely. I think there's many, many M&M cases that end up exactly the same way. So I think there's a lot of listeners out there who will will be able to relate to exactly what you're talking about. Really, in the end, it's about what you think is right, what you know is right, 
and what's best for the patient. And even though that might go against your hospital policy for whatever reason, that doesn't have to do necessarily with good patient care. You need to do what's right for your patient. Absolutely. And Anton, you asked me for a couple of take-homes here. You know, I'd say point number one is if you're going to do a thoracotomy, if you're in a place that does thoracotomies, know how to do it. Know the procedure, know the equipment that you need. Number two is trauma isn't the only indication to do a thoracotomy. Now, there's no book indication to do a thoracotomy when it's not a trauma patient, but when you've got a massive amount of bleeding below the diaphragm, a thoracotomy and cross-clamping the aorta can save the patient's life. It is a possible outcome. It wasn't in this case, but at least I got him to the OR. And number three is there's always going to be people who doubt you, but again, rely on exactly what you said. If you do the best for the patient, then you've done the best job you possibly can. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks to Swami for sharing his heroic case. Thoracotomy for ruptured triple A at Janus General. I can tell you that if I had that case, doing a thoracotomy wouldn't even have crossed my mind as an option. Kudos to Swami. And by the way, the teaching course where this was recorded in New York City is hands down the best course for EM educators that I know. I highly recommend it for anyone who's interested in teaching. I think it's coming back to New York in November if you want to check it out. On another note, coinciding with the release of this best case ever, I'm really excited about this, is the release on the EM Cases website of the first ever Crit Cases. It's a collaborative blog between EM Cases and Mike Betzner and his STARS Air Ambulance Group out in Calgary. These are educational pre-hospital and ED critical care cases with multiple decision points where there's really no strong evidence to guide us. We have various strategies and opinions from providers from around the world, which are coalesced and presented to you in an engaging format. So for this one, we have an expert peer review by Margaret Thompson, who's the medical director of the Ontario Poison Control Centre and the vice president of the Canadian Association of Poison Control Centres. We're hoping to release a new Crit Cases blog every two months. So thanks to Margaret, Michael Meesh, and Mike Betzner, and all the folks at STARS for making this first crit case as a reality. Please let us know what you think by commenting at the bottom of the post or emailing me at anton at emergencymedicinecases.com. So until next time, I'm going to go work on my thoracotomy skills. (laughs) 